Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Kellen, I may have asked you this in the past, but I'm curious to know, do you listen to any other podcasts? Yeah, there are a couple of podcasts that I listen to, but I'm not really a regular podcast listener. Like, I'll hit certain episodes here and there of the ones that I like to listen to. My wife, on the other hand, she listens regularly to some crime podcasts and really enjoys those. Right on. I'm the same way as you. I have a hard time, like, finding a podcast and really sticking to it which is why I have a lot of respect for people who have done that with our podcast. It's kind of weird to be a podcast host that doesn't really listen to many podcasts. But from the stats that I've read in doing some research, it seems like most people who listen to podcasts do it while they're on the road. Would you say that's the case for you? Yeah, that's definitely it for me. My job, I know some people have jobs where they can be working on something while they're listening, but usually I'm in meetings throughout the day or I'm writing emails or something, so I can't really focus on a podcast. And when I get off work, I have other responsibilities, taking care of my family and other things that I've got going on. So I just feel like there's not really any time in which I can listen to a podcast unless I'm driving. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you, being the listener listening to this episode right now, statistically speaking, you're probably listening to this while on the road. And so maybe uh, in relation to this episode as a quick exercise would be to look out your window or your windshield and notice the condition of the road. I'd be curious to know, is, uh, you know, is that road in pristine condition or is it covered in potholes? Or do you feel that 
the shoulder's not wide enough or it's not painted well enough or it's not lit well enough. Kevin and I have talked about infrastructure in the past, and this episode is going to be a deeper dive into the roads in America as well as the public transit. Yeah, and I'll just say that in doing the research for this episode, it was really eye-opening for me. I don't think I've ever put a lot of thought into how important roads are and what a big part of our infrastructure they really are. I went down some rabbit holes as I was researching, and one article that I read was titled Eight Ways Roads Helped Rome Rule the Ancient World. And there's actually a lot of literature out there about how the road system for the Roman Empire was, if not the defining factor in how they were able to rule as an empire for as long as they did, it's at least one of the major factors. And so there are all these compelling reasons for why the advanced Roman roads were what caused them to maintain power as an empire. And as I looked at it a little bit further and got into some other articles, I found this statement that I find really interesting. It says, transportation and related mobility are linked to a level of output, employment, and income within a national economy. In many developed economies, transportation accounts for between 6% and 12% of the GDP. Further, logistics costs can account for between 6% and 25% of the GDP. The value of all transportation assets, including infrastructures and vehicles, can easily account for half the GDP of an advanced economy. Wow. And to me, that was just mind-blowing. Like half the GDP of an advanced economy can come from all those transportation assets. And to add to that, later in the article it said, on average, transportation accounts for between 10% and 15% of household expenditures. And so when you think about everything with how our society operates, I mean, roads are needed for the movement of people and stuff. And so even in a world where we operate so much online, really for a society to function, you've got to have an effective means of transporting goods and people. And it can be said that just like the ancient Roman Empire, that the make or break for any modern society is their road system. Yeah, when you think about an economy, it makes sense. I mean, roads are just absolutely necessary. It is how we get things from one place to another. There are other ways like like air and rail, but at least the last mile of everything has to be done via road, right? And there is so much transport that happens, whether it's getting people to work or from work, to school, from school, to go shopping, or whether it's getting obviously all the things to those places that need to be. Without it, no economy could hope to survive, and no people could hope to survive, not in the way that we've set our world up today. And obviously, thinking about different areas of the world, they have built their roadways, their road systems, their, the way their cities are set up completely differently, right? And even within countries, an urban area and their roadways are going to be very different than a rural area and their road setup. Today, we are specifically talking about the U.S., and there are all sorts of complaints <laughs> that one could have about the way that the U.S. has set up their cities and then suburban areas and then rural areas and how reliant it's made us on vehicles. We're not going to get into that today. We're not going to talk about why the setup is so bad. We're going to talk more about the specific infrastructure and the issues that we're seeing with the infrastructure 
and the consequences of that infrastructure failing over time. We'll start the episode now with with roads specifically, and at the end we'll talk about transit, public transit, and the ability for people to get to one place or another without having to rely on their own personal vehicles. So we have referred in the past often to the Army Corps of Engineers and their report card for U.S. infrastructure. And I'm going to start this section here by referring to that specifically on their report on roads. Roads in the U.S. scored a D. D for delightful. D for dilapidated or destroyed, damaged. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some numbers. So 43% of roads in the U.S. are in poor or mediocre condition, nearly half. 17% of roads are in poor condition, and that percentage is increasing. 72% of all goods, which is $17 trillion annually, are moved using the highway system in the U.S. The average driver in the U.S. pays $600 per year on pothole-related repairs. Wow. Last year alone, it cost drivers a total $26.5 billion, according to AAA. So, I mean... Just potholes alone and the damage they're causing to vehicles, despite all the other negative consequences of poor roadways, are costing people a lot of money. In 2019, there were 3.2 trillion vehicle miles traveled in the U.S. Obviously, that's an estimate, but 3.2 trillion miles. And that was an increase of 18% from the year 2000. So our roads are being much more and more used, obviously. And the amount of vehicle miles being traveled on roads in poor condition is increasing proportionally as well. So over the last decade, it went from 15% to 17%. Quoting right from the report itself, it says, The U.S. has been underfunding its roadway system for years, resulting in a $786 billion backlog of road and bridge capital needs. The bulk of the backlog, $435 billion, is in repairing existing roads, while $125 billion is needed for bridge repair, $120 billion for system expansion, and $105 billion for system enhancement. It's a lot of billions of dollars. Many billions, yeah. And when it gets into the weird things like system enhancement there, it's talking about the, the addition of safety features, adding better lighting, wider shoulders better crosswalks, that type of thing. So just from those numbers, it's just apparent, number one, how much we're using the roadways, how much that use is growing, and how much of those roadways are in not good condition. It's frightening to know that we're starting to use the poor conditioned roads more and more often proportionally. And there are so many reasons why in the future, this will be a positive feedback loop of decreasing infrastructure quality. You know, we have talked about catabolic collapse many times and its impact on infrastructure. And I think there are going to be several different ways we'll talk about here that 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 will apply. So to introduce one of those feedback loops, I'll read right again from the report. It says, the increase in severe weather events is damaging key roadways that serve as community lifelines while simultaneously increasing maintenance needs, interrupting the normal operation of the nation's roads, creating delays and negatively impacting the economy. For example, rising temperatures are estimated to add approximately $19 billion to pavement costs each year by 2040. So that's just one really specific example of how climate change is going to increase the cost of maintaining roadways. And these costs are already too high. 
you know, I was talking here about a $786 billion backlog of work. And that backlog is increasing. We're not making a dent in it. It's actually getting bigger. In our previous infrastructure episodes and in our future ones, we have and will cover all the different backlogs in all the different type of of infrastructure. There are backlogs everywhere expanding into the multiple trillions of dollars. I think the number was something like $5 trillion needed just to get our infrastructure up to like a B rating. Meanwhile, the government's budget is not going towards these things. It is going towards war and social security and all these other things, right? Referring back to our episodes on catabolic collapse, which if you're not familiar with them, definitely go listen. Episode five is probably the best place to start. And then we did a deeper dive on catabolic collapse later. But it's this idea that as we stop funding certain parts of infrastructure, because there are other things calling our attention as collapse progresses, maybe it's, I don't know, a pandemic that requires a bunch of money and funds or other resources like labor. Maybe it's increasing natural disasters. Maybe it's food shortages, internal political turmoil, but all these things pull resources away. And as we do that, there is less money or other resources to put towards the infrastructure and they start to fail more. And as they fail more, it becomes a cascading effect of dominoes falling where those failures become more and more widespread through that intensifying feedback loop. Yeah, you stepped us through at one point kind of a metaphor or an analogy of sorts. This idea of like, let's say you are really wealthy and you've purchased this massive estate. You've got a huge mansion with a big yard and a pool and all these things. And in the scenario, as we step through it, the idea was like, hey, if your income is declining and the paint is chipping on the outside of the house and the lawn isn't taken care of and you can't afford to have somebody cleaning and maintaining the pool and you're developing holes in your roof. And as all these things are happening with limited funds, you can't keep up with all of it. And so they become these compounding factors, these feedback loops that cause the whole thing to kind of implode. And you're absolutely right. When we talk about all of the many things, so many issues that are calling our attention and that require our resources to keep them from falling into a state of disrepair, And when roads is just one of those, and like you said, the cost is growing larger and larger, and we're not even making a dent. And just like with so many things in collapse, this affects primarily, or I should say first, the poor. If there is only so much money that can be put into the reparation or the the fixing of roadways, it's going to be put into the ones where there is the most traffic, where there is the most transport of goods, where it's going to affect the economy the most, right? And usually that's not going to be in poorer neighborhoods. The issue with that, though, is that it is another feedback loop in and of itself. Because if roadway conditions in a poor neighborhood begin to deteriorate, meaning that there's more damage to vehicles, perhaps in that neighborhood, it makes those vehicles more expensive to repair. And the poorer you are, the less likely you are to get those repairs done which means it's less likely that you're going to purchase or maintain a vehicle, which means that it's going to be harder for you to get to and from work, which makes you poorer, right? And it becomes this feedback loop of making conditions more difficult for a poorer community to be able to make their way out of that. And while, again, with collapse, we know that eventually it will hit everyone, the poorest are the ones to become neglected first. They will be hit the hardest. And as 
social welfare becomes harder and harder as well through Katabalik collapse. They're not being provided for by the government. It can become an extremely disastrous situation for them very quickly. And I even think about a very stark example growing up. You know, the area that I lived in, there was a road that went up the hill to where all of the big fancy houses were. And one in particular, really wealthy individual, had the largest house, and it was the highest up the hill. And we had some of these roads that were always in this state of disrepair, always big potholes and cracks. And yet the roads that led up to that really fancy area were getting repaved all the time. And I remember we would ask ourselves, like, what in the world? This road was already the nicest road. I swear they just repaved it a few months ago, and now they're repaving it again. And I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody said, oh, it's so-and-so, the really rich guy up on the hill. He's got connections to the city, and he has a lot of pull in where they put their funding. And so you mentioned the roads that are going to get repaired are the ones that see the most traffic or have the biggest impact on the economy. I think to add to that, it's often like most of our infrastructure going to be maintained the best for those that already have it the best. Then you add the fact that even if that guy, you know, he's driving in his brand new vehicle with really nice suspension, goes over a pothole, he's probably going to be fine. Whereas somebody who's not as well off goes over that same pothole in an old junker car, it's going to do some serious damage. One thing that's interesting, you know, you mentioned we're focusing here on roads and transit in the U.S. Some studies have shown that the U.S. spends more than all but five other countries in the world on public transit and more on roads than any other country that discloses spending data. The U.S. spends so much already on roads. And like you mentioned, that's not even making a dent in that huge backlog of all all the things that we should be investing in when it comes to our roads. One example here regarding transit, this article says the first phase of the Second Avenue subway in Manhattan, the most expensive subway project in the world, cost $2.5 billion per mile, nearly five times the cost of a similar extension in Paris. And it's really interesting because they've tried to dive in and say, why? Why has it cost so much? And they can't point to a single thing. They talk about over-design and inefficient project management and misaligned politics, and it's just this big mess. And whatever they budget for these huge projects almost always isn't enough. They just keep running over budget, and they extend the budget, and then they run over that budget again, and it swells into this overwhelming amount. And I know that a big part of the problem is that so much of the funding goes towards repairing, and those reparations aren't long-term. They're just trying to do little fixes, you know, band-aids on a bullet hole sort of thing to just get by another year. But those fixes are still expensive. So they're spending more year over year to do the little fixes than to just spend the amount up front to make it good for the long term. And now, perhaps with new roads that are being built, they might have new code, right? And new regulations that cost a lot more money. And so any expansion that they want to have is costing a lot more up front, but it's leaving all of the old roads without the proper funding to get them repaired. So yeah, maybe our newer roads that are, are, are coded well and engineered well, they may last longer than the ones that we've been building for the last 50 years or 100 years, but all of those old roads 
those millions of miles of road are not getting the proper attention that they need. And that perpetual lack of funding means that they may never get the repairs that they need. And when it comes to that, just maintenance and trying to repair, you know, as of a couple of years ago, there were 4.17 million statute miles within the U.S.'s highway network. Like that is so much distance to think millions and millions of miles of roads that we have to try to maintain. And and that maintenance cost of capital that we've talked about in the past is just enormous. Speaking of that cost, in 2020, the U.S. spent $616 per person on highway construction, maintenance, and operation. And there was a report, this is from the American Society of Civil Engineers. The report is called Failure to Act, Economic Impacts of Status Quo Investment Across Infrastructure Systems. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it, it states that failure to address inadequacies in U.S. infrastructure could stifle economic growth, cause the loss of $10 trillion in GDP, and lead to a decline of more than $23 trillion in business productivity over the next 20 years. So I know we keep coming back to cost, but again, when we talk about catabolic collapse, where we're putting our resources, the fact that most issues in collapse will present themselves as economic issues, I think it's really important. But that's not the only impact. We've been talking here about roads kind of falling apart, right? Like any road, if it's just left without any maintenance or repair, how long could it last? Like it's got an expiration date. And depending on the traffic and how it was designed and all these things, you know, that could be just a couple of years before you start getting potholes and it starts to fall apart. It could be longer than that. But the point is we do have to put all that cost in. But one thing we don't often think about when we think of our road system and the ways in which it's failing is all of the traffic and the fact that many of our roadways cannot support the amount of traffic, the amount of, you know, the, the volume of people coming through. One thing I found interesting is that 1970, there were 118 million cars on the road in the U.S., which was more than quadruple the number of cars on the road in the U.S. 20 years before. In the second quarter of 2022, there were just over 284 million vehicles operating on roads throughout the United States. So over the last five decades, we're talking about 2.4 times as many cars on roads in the U.S. And yet in many areas, because of the way the roadways were designed or the location or how resources have been put towards it, it's not like roads are 2.4 times as wide. You know, we haven't expanded our infrastructure to support all that additional volume. And so what we get is bottlenecks. We get congestion and traffic. One report that I found says if you are an American with average commute time, you would spend about 250 hours in transit each year. It says that adds up to more than 10 days. By the end of your career, you might spend nearly a year of life commuting. What a sad reality that is. Makes me so glad to work from home. Me too. And another study was just looking at the amount of time average drivers spend in traffic in like a city's metro area. So they're not talking about any of the drive time for people that are not stuck in traffic. But if they're looking at just these metro areas where people are actually stopped, not moving at the regular flow, 
It says those U.S. drivers spent 97 hours stuck behind other cars. And that's the equivalent of two and a half work weeks. Which, by the way, that report found, I know we're talking about the U.S., but that found that Moscow has the worst traffic. And a driver spends on average 210 hours in traffic in a year. But you can see, not only is it just soul-crushing to be sitting stuck in traffic, but think how much time that is that, that people aren't working or doing anything productive. They're just sitting in a vehicle, probably burning fossil fuels. It's stifling to an economy because not only is it people that are sitting in that traffic, it's all of like the produce that you're going to buy at the grocery store. It's everything that's moving anywhere. And frankly, it's just sad right? to think like, hey, you're an average American. A year of your life is going to be spent just in commute for your career. So when we talk about costs on an individual basis, the average annual cost of commuting is somewhere between $2,000 and $5,000, depending on where you live. And so again, individually, we're spending our money and our time because of the poor infrastructure. Collectively, with our businesses, our economy, again, we're eating up so much of our valuable resources. And I think we forget that as these systems start to break down, we lose the ability to operate efficiently as a nation or as a society. We lose access to like broader market bases and being able to do economies of scale with our production and our distribution and our consumption. We really shoot ourselves in the foot when we don't maintain and build our infrastructure to support all of the people that we have. You know, you mentioned all that lost time in traffic and it it is. It's so sad to think, you know, you mentioned productivity, but I think of just like that time could be spent with family. A time could be spent on a hobby, getting to know your neighbors, living life, you know, the way you want to live it and not stuck in traffic. Have you seen Joe vs. the Volcano? Oh, yeah. It's a classic. Oh, love it. I grew up on that movie. And that opening scene, the sort of corporate soul sucking and the song they sing there, if you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. That's kind of the vibe I get when I think about all these hours stuck in traffic. And, you know, one way that a lot of nations alleviate that problem is through proper planning and making available public transit. The U.S. is a place where everybody owns a car, right? That's just kind of you almost have to. But you might have seen there's these campaigns all over social media that I've seen where it shows like the number of it'll be like, here's what 40 people in cars looks like. And it's taking up the road for like a thousand yards back or something. And then it'll be like, here's 40 people on a bus. Right. And it's one vehicle, all 40 people inside that vehicle. The emissions are less. The traffic is less. You can consider that the material cost of the vehicles and the resources and mining that had to be done to make that happen, you know, that's all less. So it's this way more efficient way of doing things. But that being said, 45% of Americans have zero access to transit, to public transit, meaning they have to rely on their own forms of transportation. 41.5% of Americans have one or zero cars and could likely benefit from that transit, from public transit. So we have this disconnect where there's this huge need for transit, but there's this huge gap where it's not being supplied because it is a expensive upfront investment. Again, according to the Army Corps of Engineers, our public transit rates even worse than roadways at a D-. There's a $176 billion backlog on transit repairs, and that's expected to grow 
to more than $270 billion in just the next seven years by the end of 2020, and to nearly $500 billion by 2039, which is 17 years from now. So again, just huge numbers of backlogs, you know, the cost to get things just in working condition. Nearly 20% of all transit vehicles are considered to be in poor condition. And when we're talking about public transit, obviously, you know, we've mentioned buses, Kellen mentioned subways earlier, trains. You can see how it's not surprising that during 2020, transit took a huge hit, but actually it started before that. It says that the number of trips being taken on mass transit decreased by 8% between 2014 and 2020. So a pretty significant decrease. And there's a few issues with this. You know, it makes it harder to fund, both from a fare perspective. People aren't paying as much fare because they're not doing it as much. But also from a government funding perspective. If they're looking at numbers and saying, this is how many people you're transporting and we're going to pay you based on that, then that funding decreases and the deficits grow. Again, here we have another feedback loop. If the public transport is becoming more dangerous, if it's becoming more uncomfortable, if it's taking longer, basically as, as that funding decreases and the infrastructure fails more often, more people say, well, I'm going to stop taking it. I'm going to purchase a vehicle and I'm going to just do it that way. It's way more convenient, but that again decreases the numbers of people using the mass transport and decreases the funding. Again, this goes back to this hurting poor areas, again, worse than the wealthier areas. People in poorer areas are more likely to require public transit. They rely on it much more to get to their places of work, to get into town, to buy groceries. And as that public transit continues to worsen in condition, it makes it harder for them to accomplish those tasks. And if they're in a position where they can't afford a vehicle, but that public transit becomes unbearable as well or unviable, you have more people who can't afford to work. This also puts pressure on more people to buy vehicles, which means we have, again, more vehicles on the road, which you just explained the traffic issues, obviously emissions, it increases debt ratios, more people go into debt for vehicles. And as all this happens, it puts more of the burden, more of the pressure on the government to fund it rather than local area governments or local you know, private transit fares and things like that. If the fares aren't cutting it, then it's got to go to the government. And the government has to say, okay, if we're going to fund this, we're taking it from another area. Or they just say, we're not funding it at all. And I think there was this hope that with 2020 and so many people, you know, starting to work virtually, that it would decrease the need, right? That we wouldn't have such a need for public transit and, you know, for such an impressive infrastructure of roads and highways for people to get where they need to go because they wouldn't be traveling as much. And although that has made an impact, there are so many jobs where you can only do it if you are there in person. There are so many activities, even something like shopping, that you can't do it unless you're there in person. And it's been interesting to watch as so many corporations who said previously, yeah, we're always going to let our employees work virtually are now starting to require that employees come back into the office. I think oftentimes we think of something like roads, and a road is just you know made of concrete or asphalt. It's something very solid. It seems so permanent. And it's not one of those things where you know it's in good condition today, and then you wake up tomorrow, and all of a sudden it has fallen apart. It takes a long time. But our roadways, our highways, our 
systems of public transit, those are all things that are, in a sense, continually disintegrating. And so it's not something where from one week to the next, we're going to go from not having a problem to having a major problem. But if already, you know, this very reputable report from the Army Corps of Engineers is saying our roads are at a D, or the, the only score you could get worse than that is an F, and our public transit is at a D minus, we're already at that point, And the trend we're on indicates that things are only going to get worse. And so here we're talking about costs and we're talking about what that does to the widening wealth gap. And we're talking about traffic and we haven't even mentioned, you know, the safety concerns, but again, it's just one more factor amongst all the others that are contributing to our collapse. We've seen the impact that damaged roads can have on supply chains. You know, when there was some massive flooding up in British Columbia that wiped roads out, it made it so that goods could not be brought in or brought out. A lot of like the lumber and things that were up in uh, British Columbia could not be brought down to the States. It had to go way around. If it could be brought out at all, it was increasing costs. And that was just from a couple of roads wiped away by floods. But if we can consider the continuing deterioration of roads all over the nation and the world, then you can see how vital goods could be delayed from arriving where they need to be to give people what they need to survive. We are completely reliant on our supply chains. I think about these report cards and how so many of these different pieces of infrastructure are Ds, Cs. It's rare to see any Bs, and I don't even know if there are any As. And it makes me wonder, you know, five years from now, a decade from now, number one, are they still going to be doing these report cards or do they just give up on them? And number two, if they are still doing them, will they be honest? <laughs> and are we just going to start seeing these report cards with like all Fs for our infrastructure? Because the truth is, it seems like there are, and we will, as we do more research into this, we may be proven wrong, but none of the infrastructure that's actually improving from a financial standpoint, instead of growing in its backlog of repairs required. Thanks for joining us this week on the podcast. If you are commuting right now, we hope that you're doing so safely. We hope you're not stuck in traffic. We always appreciate your support. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll speak again next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.